loving God, your spirit is open to all. Do not let our human prejudice stand in the way of divine love. Amen. Friends, the book of Acts gets short shrift in our lectionary. We only hear it for a few weeks each year as the first reading during the Easter season. And yet Acts is the continuation and the conclusion of the Gospel of Luke. You can't really understand Luke's Gospel until you can see the whole thing from Jesus' birth in the forgotten backwater of Judea at the beginning to Paul's preaching Jesus' good news in the great imperial capital of Rome at the end. Luke's gospel starts with poor and lowly shepherds, but then it spirals outward, spreading like a wildfire from Jesus' early followers to all sorts and conditions of people. Luke places the coming of the Holy Spirit in the middle of this saga at the beginning of the book of Acts. And from that point on, nothing, nothing can stop the spread of the gospel, not even the power of empire. Luke lets us know what he thinks about that empire right at the very beginning of his gospel. When Mary goes to see her cousin Elizabeth before Jesus is born, she sings these revolutionary words, God has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. That mighty power that God is planning to cast down is the Roman Empire. Mary could see that God's plan somehow was to use the precious life growing inside her to cast down those thrones and to lift up the lowly in their place. Now, it was, in fact, only a few decades before Jesus' birth that the emperor in Rome had gotten quite so proud and mighty. After Octavius defeated Mark Antony at the Battle of Actium in 27 BC, he became the sole ruler over the whole empire. He got the Roman Senate to give him the title Caesar Augustus, the venerable king, one who was worthy of worship. In fact, the full list of titles that Octavian amassed in his lifetime was divine, son of God, God, God from God, Lord, Redeemer, Liberator, and Savior of the world. And these titles were carved into monuments all over the Mediterranean. So the idea that the emperor should be worshipped as a god was still fairly new when Luke has the angels announce Jesus' birth to the shepherds in Bethlehem in this way, to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Make no mistake, that is a seditious claim because Lord and Savior were titles that belonged to the emperor. But how on earth was this peasant born in a manger going to bring down the throne of the emperor? That's what Luke's gospel and the book of Acts, its sequel, is all about. And the five verses that we heard from Acts today represent a turning point, 
This story of Gentiles being baptized illustrates the moment in which the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's fire, takes hold and begins to burn out of control. When all is said and done, Jesus' name will be known across the whole world. And 2,000 years later, I will have to remind you who Octavian was and why he mattered. Now, unfortunately, the lectionary gives us these five verses with no context at all. So, let me set the scene. The Gentiles that are filled with God's Spirit are from the household of Cornelius. Luke explains that Cornelius was a centurion of the Italian cohort living in Caesarea. Now, as you might surmise, Caesarea was one of those monuments to the new Caesar. It was an all-weather port that was built by Rome on the Mediterranean to provide access to the interior of Judea. It was a key city for Rome, and a centurion who was stationed there, that is, an officer who was overseeing a hundred soldiers, was a man of some importance, both in his role as a centurion and in the location of his placement. He was a significant person in the Roman hierarchy. And Luke also explains that Cornelius was a devout man who feared God. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly. It sounds like Cornelius was dissatisfied with the Roman imperial religion, for that is what emperor worship had become by this point, a religion, a civic, but even a divine religion for Rome. Cornelius's heart, though, was open to God, the real God, and he was searching for something more meaningful and important than the power and riches of empire. One day, while he is praying, he has a vision telling him to call on a man named Peter, who was living in Joppa, another seaside town a few miles down the coast. Now, meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter, Jesus' disciple Peter, also has a vision, a fairly involved vision that convinces him once and for all that the good news of Jesus is not supposed to be limited to the Jews only, that, in fact, it is good news for the whole world. Now, Peter summarizes this vision Later, when he goes back to Jerusalem to report on Cornelius' conversion, and he finds himself having to defend the idea that God would send his spirit to a Roman centurion. Now, this part is important, so I will let Peter tell it. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them, step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. And I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill, and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. 
But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times. Then everything was pulled up again to heaven. At that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. So we entered Cornelius's house. He told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? And when they heard this, they were silenced, and they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Friends, God's Spirit blows where it will, and who are we to hinder God? As Peter explained to the Jerusalem believers, the Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. It turns out the way that you bring down the thrones of empire is not by force, but by persuasion and love. And it's an inside job. God's Spirit pulls Peter and Cornelius together, this Jewish peasant fisherman on the one hand and this Roman centurion on the other. Now, if Peter had refused to go or had allowed his prejudice to color their meeting, it might not have worked. Cornelius might have turned elsewhere in his search for meaning. But Peter saw Cornelius now through the eyes of God's love. And the Spirit did have a chance to work, to take hold in Cornelius's heart. And this is how Jesus's message his gospel, was eventually able to overcome the might of empire. Now, where do we make distinctions like this in our lives today? Who do we discriminate against because they're different from us? This lesson from Acts pushes us to consider what lies behind our prejudices and ask ourselves, is God making this distinction or am I? And if God is not making a distinction between us and the other, whoever else is out there, then who are we to hinder God, to stand in the way of God's love? The work of God's Spirit in the world depends on us letting go of our prejudices and sharing God's love as widely as we can. This is the only way I know, in fact, that hearts are turned toward repentance, towards kindness and generosity. We know that the cold calculations of empire still motivate people, even today, to turn a blind eye to suffering in the world. Power and money 
are as tempting in our own time as they were to Octavian in the first century. But despite this, God's truth lives and God's kingdom grows. I pray with our help and our conviction that God's spirit can spread across the whole world and that God's love will know no boundaries. Amen.